Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and today we will be taking a satirical romp down Hollywood halls of horror with the new book, Scream Queen, by Ray Cotterell. And Ray will be joining us from Santa Rosa, California. Hello, Ray. Good morning. How are you, Lori Beth? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, thank you for getting up extra early in California to share some insights about the journey to write your book and your book itself. Well, great. Thanks for having your show. Um, well, um, um, I was born in uh, rural St. Louis, Missouri, and where I had an idyllic childhood, um, there was a horse pasture to our right and apple orchard to our left, and then acres and acres of woods for me to wander uh, and walk with my dog. Yeah, you know, I, I I noticed that on the back of your book. I loved how you wrote that you were trying to contemplate the mysteries of the silent W in your last name, W-R-A-Y, and why the W is silent in Ray. <laughs> was named after my uncle. Oh. <laughs> well, that's um, wonderful. Well, um, what I'd like to do is let the audience know a little bit about your book, and then I'd want to hear about your journey from that idyllic childhood to um, writing about a horror movie. Now, a couple times ago when we were uh, talking about the show together uh, in one of our conversations, I mentioned to you that it kind of reminds me of a Quentin Tarantino movie, <laughs> where the it, it's sort of like a lot of different pieces all coming together and lots of villains villainous characters. So you seem to really like these villainous characters. I do. Um, I think they're really fascinating characters, and I like anti-heroes. Um, and I, I think that sometimes when they're on stage, they're fascinating to watch. And although they're completely despicable, you kind of want to see them do their next diabolical thing. And it's almost, you don't really want them to succeed, but it's it's sort of like you can't look away. They're just <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> no, it, so I do enjoy writing about those characters. And when you were a kid, I remember you also sharing with me about how some of the fun memories you have are being able to ride with your friends on your bicycles and all get together at one house and pile on a couch and watch the scariest of scary movies together. Tell me a little bit about that. So, yes, when I was about 15... Um, we would um, gather, gather everyone together. I would make countless phone calls and tell everyone there's going to be a huge football game um, at this open lot. And everybody says, there really going to be a big game? And I would say, yes. And there, there wasn't a game before I just started making phone calls, but I told everyone there were a big game. And we got about 30 guys out there. And they said, would it be okay if I brought my brother? He plays JV football. He's 17. I said, oh, yeah, sure, bring him. And we would have this big tackle football, no pads, and we were all, you know, scarred up and have black eyes and be bruised and everything. And then we would all hop on our Schwinn bikes or skateboards and or just run to a friend's house, the friend who had the, the best television set. And we would all go down and pile on their couch. And there wasn't even a, a blockbuster story yet. It was Betamax, and it was poor quality. But the 17-year-olds could get these really scary horror movies that, we couldn't get at 15, so we would look around and say, well, I have some action-adventure movies, or I have these horror movies 
you know, when we would sort of, we would vote, and no one wanted to admit they were scared to see the horror movie, so we were kind of being macho, and we would all sit there on the couch and, and watch these things, and they were, they were, um, you know, really scary. We were kind of shy kids. We didn't interact with, with girls too much, but we were working our way up to eventually asking a girl out on a date, but these women were just in these movies were, were victims, and they were scantily clad and and, and buxom and, you know, inappropriately dressed for the situation, but they would just, you know, be killed in these movies and they were victims and they didn't even attempt to protect themselves or, and they made the worst decisions and they always ended up in these bad situations and just got killed and they would simply scream and then get killed and that was their whole function in the movie and you would see them later in other movies too and I just wondered about them. Did they not remember that we've seen them killed in other movies and <laughs> they were stereotyped? And anyway, and I, I started wondering about the, the people who made these movies and the women in these movies. Did they consider themselves victims in real life? And, and did the directors that made these movies, did they not like women or something? And uh, I sort of got the idea we had sisters and we knew girls at school and so forth, and we knew that they weren't like these women. They weren't dumb bimbos, and you know they weren't defenseless. They were smart and funny and ambitious, and so forth. And so, but it did sort of affect us in a way at a young age. And so, I was always curious about these movies. And now, the scream queen in a movie isn't necessarily the star, but they have a quality of scream that makes them perfect for the movie, right? They do, and the term is, uh, Scream King goes back to the 30s and 40s. Uh, it was uh, actually Fader Ray in the movie King Kong, and they, she was dubbed as the first Scream Queen because she spent most of her time on screen screaming. And, and, uh, and then there was a long list of them, uh, Adrienne Barbeau and Jamie Lee Curtis, and before that, her mother, who was in Psycho. And uh, so... It just became an industry term, and it was, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny because, I mean, some of these movies were very schmaltzy, very campy, and I think some, those were some of the ones that I enjoyed the most, that they would um, inject some humor into the movies, uh, as well as having horror. And um, I think that, in general, just combining different genres of movies, like um, the rom-coms and... and um, horror and comedy in, in the same movie, it makes for a really interesting mix of emotions. Well, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up because, as I recall, this started out to be a movie for you, right? Before you, you moved it into a novel, this was initially a movie that you were creating. Yes, I went to um, Los Angeles to pitch this and uh, as a screenplay, and it was really interesting that it, it had started out as a, a, a novel. I converted it to a screenplay format. I pitched it, and the director said, if I were you, this is a kind of rather fantastic story, I would convert it back to a uh, novel format and then go online, and then when directors see that you are following, then they might consider buying the screenplay from you. So it sort of took an interesting journey there. A circuitous path. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back and forth. A big and, and, and the process of writing this, and 
you worked with a group of writers that helped uh, support you in this process. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, I had um, really been on a, a, a track to uh, become a, a business major in college, and I spent many, many years um, sort of beating my head against the wall about that, and it was it wasn't my thing. It was like trying to hammer a square peg into a round hole. And um, uh, I ended up starting my own business and coming out here to California. And I finally gave myself permission to start writing because I always wanted to be a writer. And it, was, it wasn't a practical thing to do. And there was not no clear-cut path to become a writer. You, If I were to go to school and get a degree in literature, for example, that doesn't make you a writer. And, you know, if I had done um, just start writing, that doesn't make you a writer, but you have to sort of learn the craft. And so I started taking these classes at a community college, and the instructor, based on some of our personalities and the fact that we, we seem to get along well and have uh, talent, he invited us to his, his home, and that he started running a class called Low-Fat Fiction, which is... Uh, using word counts and, and just trying to condense your message into the smallest amount of words possible. And th- it, it was a very concise type of writing, but we had to bang out a new story every Monday because every Monday night we would have to bring a new story. It could only be, say, 500 words long, and you would have different word counts. Sometimes we would splurge, and it could be 700 words long. But it, it was to just really get it down to the kernel of the story. So... I did that for years and eventually started writing novel manuscripts and this morphed into more groups and people would drop in and join and eventually you had to be interviewed to join the group because we're becoming better writers. And um, so it was just a lot of fun and we all got to know each other over the years and people would run novels or stories by each other and get them published online or get them published through um, in magazines. And it was a really fun group of people. And they became better and better at critiquing work. And um, I remember thinking early on, I heard this one woman read a story, and I thought to myself, that's just terrible. And she and I were both in these groups later. We joined again, and I heard her read again. And it was magnificent. It was uh-huh. like she was such a polished writer. And it just showed me how far you could, could, could grow in your talent. And I actually heard somebody say the same thing about me. They said, when I first heard your reading, I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> and then years later, I, they said it blew their socks off that uh-huh. you know, my writing had improved so much. So, Well, it's a, it's it's a really real encouragement fun. for folks who have always had a passion to write, to think about it. There are writing groups here in the Twin Cities. Um, and you're an inspiration for those of us who, who love to write. And you actually got a whole book done, but it, it took you a little bit. We're going to learn a little bit more about that as long as uh, along the way in our conversation today. But I want to make sure the audience knows about how to get your book. It's called Scream okay. Queen, and you can buy it online at either Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And it's by Ray Cotterell, and that is W R A Y, and the last name is C O T T E R I L L. Again, the name of the book is Scream Queen. Take a look at it. Uh, it's a great book and order it and have some fun with The Scream Queen. We'll be right back just after a few short announcements and we'll learn more a little bit about the plot of the story as well as the process that, that Ray took to develop this concept. 
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And today we're taking a satirical romp down Hollywood halls of horror with a new book, Scream Queen by Ray Cotterell. And he is joining us from Santa Rosa, California. Welcome, Ray. Thank you. So in our last segment, we're talking a little bit about the great group of writers that you all kind of developed your craft together, which is wonderful. Um, and, and you've completed a book, which was a lifelong dream for you. And I, I want to commend you for taking the time and making your dream come true. Uh, it, it is admirable and inspirational. Thank you. So it, it took a while, though. Tell us a little bit about um, the visions and revisions and, and visions again in, in creating the final product. Well, it took me 10 years, you know, and um, I did a lot of reading of um, authors who would write, write books on writing. Uh, in particular, I read Stephen King's book called On Writing, and um, in it, he has sort of an um, organic approach to setting the wheels in motion. He likes to take two characters and pit them against each other in an interesting situation and then just let it then react uh, back and forth on each other and see where it leads uh, versus writing a plot. And he said, all books end someplace anyway. So I also love that uh, approach. And I thought I could start with an interesting situation and just let these uh, actors work their way out of it too. And that's how I've written all of my stories and my other uh, manuscripts as well. But I thought, what would it be like if someone's job every day, if their job definition was victim? You go to work, and you play the role of a victim, and you sort of begin to internalize this. I would think you would say, I play a victim, and on some level you see yourself on screen being a victim. At some point they watch the movies and uh, to see how well they performed. And I, I wonder if it was sort of like people would begin to treat you differently. And... Um, Maybe, maybe in some cases, take advantage of you. So I thought, oh, I, I could create a whole world like that. And I think on some level it may be like that. So I just let my imagination run wild with that. And um, I've also experienced that uh, in certain situations, if you haven't quite figured out who you are and you know what you'd like to be, but you haven't solidified that vision, that you could fall prey to someone else's agenda. And in, in, in that case, you sort of get swept along for the ride. And if you don't put some stakes down and say, this is who I am, and no, I won't be defined as this thing that you think I should be, then you just get taken away, just washed away with the current. And, um, and so I thought, well, there's an, certainly an element of that I'd like to include with this, too. It's, it's Hollywood, it's big, it's fast-paced, and all these people are very ambitious and in some cases, I think maybe like crabs in a pot, they'll climb over other people to, to reach their their goals. So I put all these elements to play in there. And in some cases, there's a, there's a glamorous aspect to, to Hollywood, and I thought I'd, I'd really like to tap into that too. And it struck me as funny that you could be a movie star for being a victim in a horror movie. <laughs> this is why I'm famous. <laughs> this is why people want my, me to sign, you know, they want my autograph. And uh, 
there's a certain amount of prestige that comes with that. And so, and there's, and as you say, there's a little bit of humor to it. You know, give us scream, give us the scream. (laughs) Right. She's famous for her scream. Yeah. So, um, yeah, these are, these are all funny elements to me. And I, and, and of course they make horror movies. Uh, this is about a company that makes horror movies and they're famous for making bad B horror movies where B because the, the, they're not A actors. They're they're in the lower cast of actors. Maybe in some cases, no one's ever heard of them before. Um, maybe the quality of the films aren't aren't great. Maybe they cut corners on special effects here and there. Um, but the other thing is the director's egos. You know, they've made one of these films. They've made a lot of money. Well, I must be very talented then if I've made so much money and then people know my name. So that was another funny aspect I, I thought I would have. It, it did at times there. remind me of like the uh, Saturday Night Live really bad movie. <laughs> you know, right. And, right. And, and how we sort of enjoy bad movies as well. I mean, there is kind of a quirky uh, B-movie attraction to just awful. And you just, you get sucked into how bad it is <laughs> that you you can't look away. And I think you played yeah. with that concept of, you know, how bad can it get? I mean, really, how, how um, and what does that say? And you've got a character that I really like. Vera sort of questions into that. Uh, and I, I sense that you're questioning into it as you dis- as you describe it to us. Well, uh, I think the idea of um, a horror movie to begin with is an interesting one. Uh, why would somebody watch a movie where they knew they were going to be scared? Why would someone want to do that? And uh, it, it taps into our primal instincts. Um, it uh, triggers a fight or flight response, like in, in a caveman when we're going to be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. You have to decide whether to fight or, or, or flee. And society has evolved to the point where we don't really have to deal with those things very much anymore. Uh, but in the comfort of our living rooms, we can still get that adrenaline rush, that cortisol, and and. You sort of vicariously experience what it would be like to be in a situation where you may or may not survive, and you have to survive on your wits. And I think, I don't think I know. It's it's a multi-million dollar industry out there. It's very popular, and I see where Netflix just cranks out these horror movies week after week after week. And so, people do like to be scared, and sometimes they like to be able to. Their girlfriends get scared, and they put their arm around them in the theater, and maybe it's the first date, so <laughs> there's that aspect to it, too. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, and it's also really fun, too. I think you can inject humor into any genre and sort of buoys the material. So if, if it's a tragedy and you put in a little comedy relief, comic relief, then I think it just elevates the whole piece. And I think it's true of many, many genres to do that. Um, well... Um, well, this, in, this in writing this, oh, excuse me, huh, I had a little uh, a chair <laughs> malfunction there. Um, in writing this, I, I almost sense that the scream that this character has in wanting to, you know, express herself is a bit like the artist's journey too. Of like, you, we push down our our desire to be an artist, or we push down. Um, our desire to be a writer, and it's waiting to, you know, for us to scream. It's waiting for us to let it out. And there, I think there's an element of um, the scream that is, you know, finally being able to release that that magic inside. And it's a fun book. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think that, that in this character, she's had a very oppressive life, and she hasn't ever been able to express herself, and she's gotten no validation from anywhere. And now she is, it's a favor that she's gotten this job as a waitress, and she's a terrible waitress. She can't even, she can't do that right either. And yes, she absolutely wants some validation in life, and she wants to be known for, for something, her talents are her mind or something. So And in our yeah, next that's, that's, and in our next segment we're gonna have you read a bit about this character. Um, so stay with us and if you um, and I want to encourage you to get this book and to get it you can go online to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's available in paperback or electronically. It's called Scream Queen and it's by Ray Cotterell and that's uh, W-R-A-Y, Cotterill is C-O-T-T-E-R-I-L-L, by Scream Queen. You'll enjoy it. We'll be right back and we'll hear a little bit more from Ray. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today we have been taking a satirical romp down Hollywood halls of horror with a new book, Scream Queen by Ray Cotterell. And he is joining us from Santa Rosa, California. Hello there. Hello. So, Ray, you're going to read from your book for us. Yes, this is an excerpt uh, from the second chapter and um, just a tiny bit of background. Um, uh, the main character's name is Vera Horowitz, and she worked at a, re- a restaurant, and she's been warned several times um, to quit screwing up, but she she had another accident, and she was fired and stumbled into traffic, and she was almost hit by a semi-tractor trailer, and she screamed and caught the attention of um, a Hollywood horror director who gave her his card. So now she's very innocent and inexperienced, but she's been offered an audition, so I'm picking up from that point where she's just uh, having her first audition on stage. Felix grabbed Vera's wrist and dragged her to center stage. Bright lights and camera people, key grips, gaffers, and various stage hands were visible through the glare of dusty air. Okay, Miss Horowitz, Mr. Lamadou, and Mr. Whitscomb are ready to hear your reading, Felix said, who abandoned Vera on stage. Where do I begin, Vera asked, with Lonnie's first appearance in the film? Felix, very annoyed, strutted back to center stage and snatched a script from Vera. Lonnie's line, starting at the top of the page, I gave you. I'll paint you a picture. You're a lab tech. You and the others at this facility have corralled a bunch of bloodthirsty zombies. They're chained against a wall. You recognize one of them as your best girlfriend, Sarah, from your old hood. You're trying to get through to her. You just know if you can get her to remember you. It will be safe to unchain her. And go, Felix said and left the stage. A homely, bored-looking actress with must-up hair reeking of cigarette smoke strode over and stood next to Vera. Brian, a gaffer, leaned out from behind the key light and stared at the girl next to Vera. Lola, you are so ugly. I love you, Brian said. Shut up, freak, Lola answered. Hi, I'm Vera, Vera said quietly, extending her hand to the girl. Lola, now focus, the girl hissed. Vera dropped her hand and read from the script. Sarah, I know you remember me, Vera said, holding the script in one hand and attempting an imploring gesture to the girl next to her, then lost her place and paused awkwardly. I want to let you go. Remember when we loaned each other our clothes? Remember when we went to prom together with our dates? The actress fought against invisible chains and gnashed her teeth at Vera. 
Barry leaned over and whispered to Jake in his director's chair, pretty bad. I trust you, Sarah, Vera continued. I know you would never hurt me. I'm going to set you free. You're my best friend. Vera screwed up her face and looked into the lights. Excuse me, but do you think anybody would talk like this? I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't think anybody would really be this stupid. Hush murmurs echoed from the set. Jake Lamadou silently chuckled from his seat, delighted by the girl. Young lady, do you know why you're here? Barry said. It's not for your directorial in- input. It's because Mr. Lamadou thinks you have a good scream. So unlock the damn zombie and let's hear it. Vera simulated unlocking the chains. The zombie girl immediately tackled her and pretended to claw and tear at Vera's stomach. From her back, Vera struggled to keep the aggressive girl at bay. She looked into the spotlights, pretended they were the semi's headlights from the day before, and let go with another terrific scream. It was high-pitched and clear. It elevated to a higher octave and sent shivers through the onset staff. My God, she's good, Barry said. Hire her quickly and get her an acting coach. <laughs> and there we have <laughs> Vera on stage criticizing, hmm, is this really language that people use? And then um, being rebuked and told to behave essentially into her character and let out her powerful and amazing scream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we we ended the last segment talking a little bit about, you know, there's a scream, I think, within all of us. I mean, we've got a talent within all of us. Uh, but sometimes that gets squelched or we're told it's it's not there. And you, you struggled with that with growing up as well as, you know, you mentioned how you wanted to be a writer and how hard it was for you to you know, be able to share with others, yes, you are a writer, and to first claim that for yourself. Tell me a little bit about that process. I did. Well, uh, my my father had um, a legendary upbringing. He, he was born uh, fairly impoverished on a, on a farm, and uh, he went through the uh, Great Depression, so he got a, an appreciation for wanting to make more money and, and, and really achieve some status. And um, Scarcity was a big issue for him, and with, with food and and money and everything. So, um, he uh, he was able to pull himself up as his bootstraps. He was very analytically gifted, and he was good with math and, and chemistry. And he ended up becoming a, a chemical engineer. He got his master's in in business um, uh, management, and he became a lieutenant colonel in the army. So he was very accomplished. And he thought, well, we all come from his same gene pool, so we should be able to follow the same formula. And my brother did. He thought just like my dad. He was very analytical, and he studied very hard, and he made dean's list all through school, and he ended up becoming a mechanical engineer. And my sister, uh, who was born next, she didn't fit the mold at all, and she was more like a hippie, and she had all these colorful friends, and they were peace-loving and and war-protesting, and just a colorful group of people. She was more into the social sciences and she was an amazing artist and, and we would make up lyrics and just laugh and have fun and entertain. And she ended up becoming this, uh, a first grade school teacher and that was okay, but she was very spirited and that didn't fit the mold. And she really paid a price. Me and my dad would, would discipline her a lot, yell at her a lot. And he just really wanted her to get into the, something analytical but she she was able to battle her way through that. And my other sister, my parents had all of us four years apart so that they could afford to put us all through college. She also fit the mold. She was very analytical, and she did all the right things. She was a cheerleader, and she was involved with student government, and she got straight A's 
also and worked very hard to do that. And she ended up becoming a big success in the corporate world. And, and then I came along, and um, I didn't fit the mold at all. Um, and I also had uh, attention deficit disorder, which uh, there wasn't even a name for back then. People didn't understand what it was. And so some of the symptoms are impulsivity and sort of um, you can just get caught up with a stream of consciousness thinking and jumping from one topic to another and abandoning one task for another and daydreaming. And, and if you have sugar, God forbid, sugar or caffeine or alcohol, um, your mind just starts skipping and becomes fragmented, which can be entertaining to some people, but to some serious people, they don't can't tolerate that. My father was a very serious person. And so whenever my opinion came up, um, he would sort of say, shh, 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 and sort of move his hand into downward motion, shut up, shut up, shut up. He just wanted me to stop talking. And he didn't want to hear my opinions about anything. He just wanted me to succeed in either business or math or science or become a highly decorated military and, and when, officer one day and, or something. And when you think about it, right, it's very similar to what the women are going through and, and being told how they're supposed to behave throughout, you know, the the scream, you know, no, you're, you're supposed to be helpless and no, we don't want to hear your opinion. Um, as you just yeah. had read, you know, we, we're not interested in your opinion. You're just here to scream because authority yeah. is telling you this is what you're supposed to do as a woman, even though the woman has a lot more, you know, interesting things to say and she's, you know, got character, but no, all, all that's worth to the director and to the writers and to the producers are her scream. And I yeah, just found that interesting. It's off of assign them an opinion. They, uh -huh. uh, I'm, they assign them a position, and, and that's your role. Well, what if I'm not good at that? What if I have no passion for that position? And it doesn't matter. Just you need to do it anyway. So I went through um, many years of this, and he also let me know that I, I wasn't capable of making this, a decision and that my opinions and ideas didn't matter. And so he basically silenced me for most of my life. And he made all my decisions for me because I wasn't capable. And uh, he didn't care to hear my opinion. So um, basically, he, he um, after high school, he put me in military school where he loaded me up with chemistry, biology, geometry, trigonometry, all these classes. And it was terrible. I failed most of them. And I was also, I was in military school, and I was very angry about that because I didn't like military anything. I didn't like the authority of it. And anyway, um, I got out and worked uh, a job at Concrete Construction for a couple of years and rented a room from my father. So I was still under his thumb. And um, finally, he, he found a school um, in Birmingham, Alabama. He sent me 700 miles away to go to school there because he had good Christian values. And, and I... I so I went to school there, and um, it was basically a, a commuter school. It was a very good school. The University of Alabama at Birmingham, I think they were fifth best in the nation in dentistry, and they had a big medical college there, and they were good with accounting and a business department also. Um, but I was terrible at those, so I would fail all of those. The next semester to bring my GPA up, I would take all social sciences, and I would get A's and B's. And then the next semester, he would load me up with heavy sciences math, and science and physics and, and that, all these that, courses. It I must have been very frustrating to you that you're going to college and you can't even, you know, make your own choices for what classes that 
you know you want to take and it seems to me that's it very similar extremely. to to what the female character is going through in terms of her wanting to make choices and it just isn't available to her you know that the choices aren't i've got a passage here that i like too it's on page 123 okay and it's when she's questioning into you know these movies and how they're produced and she's questioning into her boyfriend making these movies because in those movies because in those movies bad people die at the end some good people yeah. who learn to overcome risks live and the plots have some humor in them this one is mean spirited the article says the movie is about defenseless barely clothed girls trapped torn apart by meat hooks and then eaten alive how could you make a movie like that and i think that's like one of her first times in the book where she like questions into like why would you do that um and 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 it just strikes me as as it's very similar to your journey as an artist of like questioning like why would i be assigned that when i am not that person Yes, um, and that character um, has to go back and, and examine his um, his motivations for, for making those movies, and he actually goes into therapy about it, and he's wondering if he has issues with women, and um, not just objectifying them, and because that's what they become in these movies. They become objects to be done with whatever the director decides, and for other people's entertainment. So... And it- and it also it also strikes me that he's looking for some kind of redemption for creating these movies. He doesn't want to do these movies anymore. And he wants to connect with Vera at a deeper level because he appreciates who she is. Um, but it, it, there's a struggle in that. And, and I'm going to have to hold for your answer on that because we've got to go to commercial. But I want to encourage people to buy The Scream Queen, and that's by Ray Cotterell. And you can get it by either going to Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori Fitz, and we have been taking a satirical romp down Hollywood halls of horror with a new book, Scream Queen, by Ray Cotterell. And Ray is joining us from Santa Rosa, California. So, Ray, are you going to go back and pitch this as a movie again, <laughs> now that you've got it written in a novel and you've got a following going? <laughs> I would definitely be interested in that. I um, There is... Um there's opportunities online. I think I, I wouldn't go to Los Angeles and pitch it, but I, um, I think that I will just uh, pursue what I can online and try to get this in front of some um, directors and producers and actors um, in the industry uh, who might be interested in making this into a miniseries, um, because I think it would be very entertaining. Well, you have enough different characters and in and out episode episodes and episodic that I think it could work well with a Netflix series. And now, now the uh, characters, who, who would you cast as the, the title lead of, of Vera Horowitz? Who would you want uh, as, the act, uh, as the actor to play that? Well, I'm actually, I'm not familiar with um, the young generation of actors that uh-huh. um, are, are out there right now. Um, 
I I can't say. I mean, she's um, it, it took me actually a long time. I have a picture of her in my head for ten years, and, uh-huh. and coming up with the cover was really something because it's one thing to imagine something; it's another thing to turn it into a, an actual person's face and 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 hair and so forth. And um, so that was quite a process just coming up with the book cover. <laughs> and I encourage but, the um, audience to go and, and if nothing else, take a look at this book cover. It is absolutely fabulous. Um, Scream Queen with uh, in her sort of horror, but kind of fake horror <laughs> as she's looking at a knife coming at her with her big eyes and a right about to scream. It's great. So if if you had the chance to create a, a series, um, and they fold in on each other over a period of time. Do you think this would be like four or six uh, little mini movies? It could be. Um, there are a lot of sections in here where they're brainstorming about new horror movies they're going to make. Mm-hmm. And then they have table reads. So I do have um, several screenplays within the book. So it's stories within stories within stories. So there should never be a dull moment when you're reading this because they're always coming up with a new horror movie and, and then different people are going to be cast. And so that's, that's a fun, that's a fun thing to do. Um, We do those. Well, we have a few minutes left and I wanted to make sure that I gave you, if you have some closing words that, that you want to share about uh, writing this book and what it means to you. Well, I think that if someone does become um, a victim through perhaps no fault of their own, um, they just weren't prepared. Maybe they were naive. They got into a bad situation, even if it involves uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome therapy. um, Once they come out the other side of that, I think it's important not to continue to identify yourself as a victim. Um, you need to do the opposite. You need to say, I'm an empowered person now. I am not somebody that, who can be taken advantage of. And um, when it ultimately comes down to it, you, you have to save yourself. You can be surrounded by people in therapy who are, you can trust or, or a therapist or friends, and, and that's fine when you're in that group. However, when you're on your own, you have to be your own person. You have to be self-sufficient and strong, and that's what you need to project to the world, no matter what you've been through, and turn all of that into a strength. Um, that's what the conclusion I've come to, and you, you need to fight for your rights um, to make sure no one takes advantage of you, and put that out there for the world to see. What I, I like about um, what you've been sharing is it feels like you have rewritten your story along with writing the story Scream Queen and that you had taken a script that was handed to you and you questioned into it and went, no, I'm not going to play this role. I'm going to rewrite a story for myself and I'm going to rewrite who I am and what I want to do and what my plot line is as a human being. And I'm going to write about Scream Queen because it, it's a character that's interesting. But in so many ways, it, it sort of mirrors your journey to to claim who you are and not be defined by what others have, have told you or you've grown up to believe because that was the feedback you got. You questioned into it and said, no, that's not who I am. 
Yes, you're right. That's um, very much so. I I, um, uh, I think that all writers, maybe they write something that's a comedy, but within that comedy, there is some pain, perhaps. Maybe there's something they've been through. They, there's a message they want to get out. And I do think, I once heard a quote that, that everyone has a certain number of stories in them, and once you've told all your stories, your life is, a, that's the end of your life. <laughs> you've gotten your message out. You've gotten everything out. And um, and I kind of like that. I think that what more could there be? There's you've got messages to convey. You've got things you want to get out, whether they be creative or or profound. And I I like that. Well, maybe there's um, not only you have a limited stories, but maybe that there's different way of telling the stories, and that that's what's part of the journey as well, and looking at it from different perspectives. So my guess is you've got a lot more stories that you want to share as well. Are you thinking of taking any of the subplot uh, screenplay stories and turning them into a book as well? Um, the subplots from this story? Yeah, there was some uh, uh, reads that the actors would have. Are any of those interesting to you to create a story? Or do you have another story in you that, that you're ready to be writing about? Oh, I, I have other stories waiting in the wings. I have other manuscripts um, <laughs> on different different um, storylines. Um, but that would be interesting. I do sort of leave it open-ended. Um, so I could pick up some of those uh, strands and, and make something else with them. Well, we're looking forward to having you come back and join us sometime for the next set of books that you'll be writing. Uh, but for now, we want to make sure that the audience uh, knows how to... Uh, be able to get your book and they can go to either uh, the Amazon or they can go to Barnes and Noble and you can buy it in paperback or you can buy it online. Um, I have just a minute left. Uh, is there a, a, just a short piece? You want to finish up anything more from that page six that you read before? We have a minute left that you can share just a little bit more from, from your reading. Oh, um, let's see what there's. Hmm. I tell you I, what, I'll I'll read for you. How's that? Like we'll we'll go okay, to right after. My God, she's good. Barry said, and hire her quickly, and get her an acting coach. And as I recall, there's <laughs> some really scary acting coaches too <laughs> that are pretty terrible. Oh yes. And the rest of it, yes, Felix grabbed Vera by the arm and led her to Jake and Barry. Hey, Vera said, yanking her thin arm free. We'd like to hire you, Ms. Horowitz. And with that, we'll leave you with The Scream Queen by Ray Cotterill. Please go out and buy the book. I think you'll have fun uh, going through a satirical romp uh, of Hollywood horror. And we're glad that you joined us today. And we look forward to having you join us next week here on Connections Radio Show on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.